You're listening to Cards and Cubes, a show about board games that you didn't grow up playing. On today's show, our top 10 games of 2020. And that's it. We are your hosts. I'm Brandon. I'm Christo. I'm Trevor. All right. How did you guys feel about 2020 as a whole? Not, not, I'm not trying to trigger anybody. I mean, in gaming, games. I'm already triggered. Too late. <laughs> I mean, everybody I knows. I thought it was a, I thought it was a really good year for games, actually. I didn't notice a slump or change. You know, there were certain behaviors that changed, but I think in terms of the types of games and quantity, maybe even were kind of, from my perspective, still still great yeah i missed the uh, saturdays uh we, we used to play a lot more games on saturdays and that was definitely a dent in me playing just a bunch of variety of games and maybe smaller games so it's kind of harder to play smaller games now because we only have very few times when we meet and actually play games so you kind of have to pick your battles i guess so to speak um I ended up actually playing kind of games more consistently online because I switched to things like Board Game Arena, so maybe the same game over and over uh, more. So yeah, I have a couple of those where we played. I, I played the, the same game like a hundred times or so. So that was kind of a difference for 2020 for me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as far as the games go, the actual games, I I feel similar as Trevor where... I didn't feel like there was any lack of games coming out and it didn't feel slow. It felt actually more scattered throughout the year rather than like Gen Con releasing a bunch and then, you know, Origins releasing a bunch. It just felt like it was kind of staggered throughout the year. And I kind of liked that. As far as, you know, game playing goes, yes, that was uh, that was definitely a significant setback. Now, last year I had read out my stats I figured I'd do it this year, and I'm going to compare them to last year, and this is how little I played compared to last year. So I sat down and played a game 308 times. Last year, 612 was the number. The actual games played, the different games, was 128. Last year, 272. New games to me this year was 74. Last year, 177 quite the difference i would say yeah that sounds about right also it's because we used to meet throughout the week uh just maybe the two of us even sometimes or just like a few people and that disappeared as well to some extent so yeah uh, i didn't say but as far as games go i felt like the year was actually kind of slower maybe it's because of me not keeping up with new games as much as i used to but uh, when I looked at it now, um, just today, yeah, there's there's a good amount of new games. Yeah. yeah. Well, when you only year. buy new games on uh, Black Friday, that might change, <laughs> you know, yeah. your yeah, sensitivity to how many new games there are. Yeah. No, I mean, that's been happening for a while. Actually, I just used to kind of make a list uh, previously, and now I kind of make less of a list or just kind of pass by a lot more games than I used to. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think behaviors of gameplay have, have changed drastically and it sounds like brandon doesn't like games as much anymore um so maybe that's one change <laughs> yeah yeah this is um 
the last show by the way <laughs> um do you know like a ballpark how many new games of 2020 you guys played um at least 10 (laughs) (laughs) no i think i i was having a hard time tracking them all down because i so i just started using the stats app like uh brandon uses so i couldn't really use that to find everything i'd played um but i found probably 30 plus that were like close enough to call 2020, you know, like late 2019 that maybe didn't make it to wide circulation until 2020. So I played a decent amount, you know, enough to kind of get a, get my feel on a a top 10 for the year. Um, But then again, you know, we weren't playing as many games and my schedule kind of didn't line up to do games throughout the week with you guys anyway. And so I was not necessarily playing the same quantity, but, but still there was enough time i think to get in a good a decent list yeah i played a good amount just because i try to have new games when i uh, go over to like trevor's or just on the mondays i've played a bunch of new games i'd say maybe probably similar to brandon maybe even less than brandon i would say because again i used to play a lot different kind of games when we used to have game days and now it's kind of this more of the same game over and over uh maybe overall quantity is similar but uh different games probably let fewer yeah uh i I, if my count is correct because i do use bg stats and have throughout the year uh it's around 30 like games of 2020 and we should note that my list in particular most of them on BGG are going to say 2020, but some of them are going to say to 2019 because they that's when they released in Europe. But I'm going off of when it was available to us in the United States. Yeah, that's similar for me. I have a couple that uh, were on 2019 on, yeah. on BGG, that is. As far as the list today, actually, I struggled a little bit before I actually started making it. I was like, oh, I don't know if I played enough 2020 games uh, per se, but I actually came up with a pretty decent list, I think. Uh, some of mine are 2019, and I think they were legitimately in 2019, but I figure they're new enough to talk about, and we played them in 2020. Uh, so a lot of them were new to me in 2020. Uh, so yeah, yep, a little bit of a cheat, but oh well. I have some honorable mentions if it doesn't work out, but most of them are from 2020. Also listed on BGG as 2020. I like the BGG thing, even though some of them might be printed later and come later. Yeah. Um, also, crossovers. I'm sure we have some. I predict five. I think we have five. If you guys have played a particular game or and or remembered that it was 2020 because it was early 2020. But what do you guys think? Oh, crossovers. Uh, Yeah, definitely at least two, if not four for me. (laughs) Yeah, no, actually quite a few. I think probably quite a few because we uh, played a lot of games with each other as well. I would say four or five is a good bet. Yeah, four or five is, I think, a good number as well. Yeah. I I guarantee one um Trevor and I have 
but I don't think, I would be surprised if it's on Hristos. Anyway, should we get into this? <laughs> Let's do it. All right. Number 10. All right, my number 10 is sort of a cheat because it's Unmatched. Now, Unmatched came out a few years ago, but the one I'm talking about in particularly is Cobble and Fog. Uh, this is produced by, produced, it's published by Mondo and Restoration Games. It's a fighting system where you have little miniatures on the board and you're fighting with cards. And your cards is also your energy too, so you like better not run out or else you're going to start taking damage. Now, I like this game as far as a thematic game goes. Cobble and Fog comes with Sherlock Holmes, it comes with Jekyll and Hyde, Dracula, and one more that's escaping me, Invisible Man. So this was right up my alley because I'm a horror fan and this was like kind of catered to horror fans. Played this with my wife, two players. The box says two to four. I would probably disagree. I wouldn't want to play it at four. The four player game is a team game and there is player elimination. So when one person gets wiped out, they're just off the board and the other person is fending by themselves. Now I imagine that happens near the end of the game. However, I don't like any form of player elimination. So I would consider this just a two-player game, but as a two-player game, it works really well. It's really fun and fast, and it feels thematic, and it's what I wanted from this style of game. So that's why it's my number 10, <clears throat> Unmatched Cobble and Fog. No one except you has played this game. It, Actually, yeah. it looks really interesting to me. Uh, it looks really cool. I was going to say, I've never played it. I don't play many brawl-type games. Um, so it's probably why this one's just never really been on my radar, but seems like it would be fun enough to try. I'm always up for good player elimination. Yeah, you know, <laughs> uh, no, two play games probably where it's at, but yeah, no, I, I usually don't like brawl games either, but I really like this one actually, the, the look of it. And I think I, I like it because it's simple and fast. I don't really like the drawn out epic battles of magic and whatever charging abilities and all that stuff this looks kind of like yeah. a quick kind of almost like a card game with a small board exactly that's exactly what it is in in a, a brawl game is a, a good description of it and that's what it pretty much is and i'm not very drawn to them either except you know this one seemed interesting for the, the reasons i listed oh plus the the theme is a big draw it is yeah <laughs> All right. Um, my number 10 is Project L. Project L is uh, by a game by a board cubator. A board cubator previously produced Space Race, which Brandon totally hated, but I haven't tried it with Trevor yet. Maybe he won't so much. Uh, very different game. Uh, it's a, kind of a Tetris-style game, sort of. Very interesting Tetris style game though, because most Tetris style games you just like fill up a board and you're done. This one you actually get dealt kind of cards. So well, they're these really cool dual layer pieces, and you fill them up, and you receive the Tetris pieces as you fill up these cards. So it's kind of like engine building basically with Tetris, and you're trying to just get larger and larger pieces and just get larger and larger cards fulfilled for points and that's basically the whole game is just like a, a huge engine building tetris style game with in which you're trying to progress through pieces uh it felt like an interesting mix of tetris 
actress and like I say, engine building to me. Um, I was a little bit concerned that the game is kind of prone to luck and uh, runaway leader prone as well, just because it's like straight engine building and those games usually are very kind of explosive. And if you get the lucky stuff, it, good luck to any, anyone catching you. There's no mechanics to really hit the leader or take that or anything like that. So it's just like a race basically to get um, the most points as fast as possible. Uh, kind of a fast game though. So I think it's excusable that it's that way. And I only played it actually uh, one time, but I really liked it. So I need to bring it around more uh, so we can play it again. I thought it was really cool and I liked my play of it and the scores were actually close enough. Um, so I don't know how luck is with that game or if it's going to bother me a lot. Kind of an exclusive Kickstarter game. I don't think it's ever made it to stores or I'm not sure if it, it will ever make it to stores. I think there might be a retail edition coming up, but they only do kind of Kickstarter games. So that's Project L. Yeah, that's a good pick. I thought Project L was a, a fun game. Uh, definitely, it feels kind of like a Zen game to me, where you just kind of get in a zone and um, you know fill up your spaces. Although maybe it wasn't so Zen for you, because I remember some <laughs> some tense moments, like I need this piece and it's not happening. Um, yeah, but uh, no, it's like Zen if everything lines up, I guess. But for me, it didn't <laughs> exactly line up most of the time. But yeah, the scores were surprisingly close. I thought you were gonna be uh, ahead by a lot. Yeah, it's a, it's a cool game. Good pick. Uh, I haven't played it, but I'm looking at it now. It looks like the pieces are really nice, like hard plastic and hard plastic like cards that have yeah. cutouts that you can fit in pieces in. How do you get the pieces? Is that a, a drafting mechanic? Uh, so basically you start with like a tiny little square and a two, I think. And there's two ways you can fulfill like a really cheap card, which just takes a two or something and you get another two. Or there's an action to upgrade a piece to a next level. So like one to a two, two to a three, three to a four. Or there's an action to take a one from the supply. So basically you have like three actions, I think, and they can be load up a cards or get a piece or upgrade a piece so that's the way it's just like you'd slowly get more and more pieces by fulfilling cards and but just by selecting actions to get them that's it yeah I actually and it's just kind of whoever can be more efficient filling it filling up the shapes i see it now i could see actually on the top corner of the cards the pieces that you get if you fulfill them that actually looks cool it yeah. looks like multiplayer yep. sol solitaire pro probably uh there's some drafting so for the cards especially oh, the so cards. if there's a card that really works well for your pieces and someone takes them it's kind of a bad time but it generally works out yeah yeah this looks and cool. it's not it's not malicious interaction it's just as malicious as drafting it's, it's more get, accidental right? i think yeah. in this game because like yeah because there's not a whole lot of hate drafting going on at least i didn't notice it it's more you really need to get the stuff that works for you. And if it just so happens that what you need is also what somebody else needs, then it, you kind of get in their way. Yeah, maybe if you're like super professional and really good at this game, you can like Kate draft and predict shapes, but we were just <laughs> struggling with our own situations the first yeah. game anyway. You can count tiles and know what shapes are coming. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> memorize the cards. Yeah, good luck with that. That's insane. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, my number 10 is Fort, published by Leader Games, designers Grant Rodiak. This is a re-implementation of SPQF, which I have not played. Um, but Fort is cool. I'm kind of a sucker for 
the deck building mechanic. Um, I don't always like all deck builders, but if a, if a game's got deck building in it, I'm at least intrigued. And Fort um, felt pretty cool and unique to me. Um, it's you know the theme is you're a bunch of kids building a clubhouse, and whoever builds their fort first gets a macaroni castle or whatever and uh your the resources are toys and pizza so it's a really whimsical theme and so the the deck you're building is your friends and then you find ways to use your friends to get resources um score points build your fort um and and there's this cool uh, lookout mechanic where you can tuck cards under your board and th- the suit of the card then becomes sort of a permanent effect for you because when you play cards you can sometimes do multipliers using the suits of the cards as as the boosts um and it's a really interesting thing i found about this game that that i quite liked actually is that any cards that you don't use um, either between your turns to follow other players or on your turn are then placed in front of you where other players can then steal them from you when they're recruiting cards to build their deck. So your the number of cards in your deck, maybe more so than than your average deck builder, is pretty fluid, and and you really try to guard the valuable cards by having efficient turns and and trying to have enough of the different suits so that you are in a position to follow other players on their turns. Uh, really, I, I think a, a unique, cool game. Um, there is a concern with the game that maybe um, pushing the point track strategy is kind of difficult to do. And, and before my last play, I hadn't successfully done it, um, but I actually did. I think the game trigger end is when someone hits 25 points and I actually hit 23 points before the game ended when someone built the fifth step of their fort. Um, and so it is possible, <laughs> Risto, it can happen. Um, and I, I just find the game enjoyable and, and it's it's light enough that I think it's fairly accessible. I Last time I played it was with people who don't play a lot of, of games and they, they liked it. So uh, fort, that's my number 10. It's kind of amazing that it made it to your top 10 because it's not even in my honorable mentions. Just kidding. No, I think it's an okay game. It just kind of uh, was kind of not as successful as I think they were hoping overall. And I can see why it's kind of a niche game a little bit. It's deck building, but not really. And yeah, it's it's weird. It's a weird game. Uh, I'll, I think it's decent though. Yeah. All right, moving on. My number nine is Fort, and this is actually the one that I knew would not be on Hristo's list, but would be on me and Trevor's. <laughs> you have good taste in games, Brandon. Um, yeah, maybe I liked it slightly more than you, which is kind of funny, because uh, I thought it would be higher on your list. However, uh, everything that Trevor said about it, I actually agree. And one of the mo- the like, why I like this the most is because Leader Games has a tendency of coming out with really... I'm reluctant to say complex because once you get them down, they're not complex, but they're a really tough teach. It's tough to teach them because they're all really asymmetric, asymmetric in a way where you're almost everyone is playing a different game and you have to explain like four to five different games before you could even start. I'm of course talking about Root and the couple of vast games that came out. I actually got from one of my friends Root 
and I thought it was kind of funny, but I don't hate Root. I just need to play it more. Maybe now that I own it, I will. But Fort was exciting to me because it was not this. It wasn't asymmetric, and it was more accessible, as Trevor said. And I, as well, played it with my family, and they loved it, and I love the theme, and it is just a fun game. And I actually find this quite a bit relaxing and uh, easygoing, so that's why it's my number nine, Fort. Boo. Just kidding. <laughs> kind of. Uh, anyway, I'm not going to say anything about Fort. <laughs> but my number nine is actually maybe uh, a little bit of a controversial game. I'm still kind of divided on... Um, yeah, some aspects of it, I guess. I was actually reading it, the reviews for it uh, just now, and I kind of agree with some of the critical reviews, actually. Uh, it's one small step. It's a first time designed by uh, some guy who I think likes war games, actually, with a lot of chits, and that's kind of bled over into the design uh, by Academy Games, published by Academy Games. Uh, previously, from them, uh, Tudor and Brandon, like, say, 78 Vikings and stuff. I really like Tudor as well that's kind of a 2018 game which i was late to start playing uh this one is kind of very experimental in some ways um it's a worker placement game the weird thing is it's a two or four player game because the four player game is actually a team game uh the theme of the game is uh, us and russia competing to race to the moon and do enough missions to get to the moon i guess or build up the technology to, to get to the moon um it's kind of hard to describe what the game is it's kind of worker placement but there's a lot of cards play as well it's also resource management you're trying to get these kind of resources uh the theme is really kind of cool but i'm not sure how it comes across the game has kind of a slightly prototype quality as well um very kind of can be awkward i think so very very weird game but i think i liked my play of it i was hoping to um play the advanced variant there's two variants and i think we probably should have just played the advanced variant to begin with but um i really like my play of it uh, it does tend to be kind of longer than I expected. And yeah, there's some other review which said it was draggy. And yeah, that's I can kind of see that. But I like what the game is. Uh, maybe it's because I like the space theme and I'm overlooking its flaws. But um, definitely feels very experimental. But I think it's good enough to be my number nine for 2020. So that's one small step. Oh, I guess you should say the super unique thing also, which we haven't tried yet. But uh, if you like I say, it's a team game if you play two players versus two players and you're supposed to kind of you have like your different meeples there's engineers and administrators i think and they can only go to specific uh worker placement spaces so you're supposed to kind of like sit there and discuss with your teammate teammate where you're going and what the plan is for the round and like very strange vibe for a worker placement game but uh yeah uh I think some people thought it's cool. I can see in some of the reviews people think that's like epic fail. So I don't know. <laughs> Maybe someday this will be tried. But I like it at two players, which is what I was. Uh, I got it to play anyway. I I wasn't super invested in the team game because I'm not sure how well it's going to work. But very unique for sure. Yeah. Spoiler alert. I played this uh, with Risto and. Um, yeah, I don't know how I would like the cooperative worker placement after trying the the uh, what's it called Frostpunk 
on tabletop simulator with basically just cooperative placement from the same pool of workers. It didn't really work, I thought. And so it became, I don't know how, how fun that would be. Yeah. The only thing that I'm excited about potentially with that is it's not obvious what you should be doing in one small step, maybe. So like your teammate can give you another idea or you just decide to go down a specific path or something. I feel like in Frostpunk it was way more obvious like it is in a lot of co-ops like full co-ops what you should be doing. So it's basically like okay, well are we going to do this? And like I was like yeah, yeah, that sounds really good. And that's like (laughs) 70% of the game there's rarely a disagreement but yeah, or if there's a disagreement it's someone like oh I'm just going to do this and like go the cowboy way and wild west and whatever yeah so yeah Yeah. one style step was a decent game i think my two main issues were just rolling for resources which kind of became less of an issue because (laughs) you get the permanent ones um and then the length like you said yeah uh, I think rolling for resources, uh, I, we were discussing it and I kind of see it as basically you can't super plan what you should be doing. You kind of work with what you're given, uh, kind of like Race for the Galaxy and games that I like yeah. of that kind. Like you can't like force a strategy. You kind of have to just work with whatever you get. And sometimes what you get is bad and that's bad. <laughs> but, oh well, is yeah. it uh, is it actual art on the cards? I can't tell. I'm looking at it and it looks like it has a picture of the monkey i think his name was albert the chimp that went to space but is it art? yeah there's the game came as a kind of a celebration of the whatever 12 40th anniversary gosh what is it no 50th anniversary of the moon landing right i think it was last year gosh man that's crazy it's 50 right i'm not not crazy right i mean I it was 50. in 1960 right so Oh, it's 60? I thought it was like the end of the 60s. Gosh, I'm that's crazy. Uh, it shows how bad my history is. But anyway, it's uh, it's got a really cool like uh, three pages or four pages in the rule book discussing like the moon missions and how the theme ties it ties into the game and stuff. The cards have pictures on them and it looks really cool. But like I say, the theme kind of doesn't really uh, come come across in the gameplay. Uh, the rule book and the graphics and everything look really cool, but um not not so much i mean they have cool pictures that's about it <laughs> you were you're right it's 1969 landing was 69 yeah 1969 apollo 11 which yeah last year would be the yeah 50th you know your years here so well speaking of moon landings uh my number nine is paris <laughs> what <laughs> uh this is a new sort of <laughs> Are you thinking of that first movie that they shoot the moon and like I think that shot in Paris or it's French or something? That's the only connection. Yeah, there's the there's the deep pole right there. Uh, So this is the not a moon landing game. Uh, (laughs) Paris is uh, the new Michael Kiesling Wolfgang Kramer game. (laughs) Very much not the moon landing because it's set you know in the 1900s, basically. building Paris um, and as par for the course with with Kramer and Kiesling games it's it's very streamlined uh, very elegant gameplay uh, I think Risa probably brought this up on a previous episode um, 
but you know the the mechanics are that you're on each turn you're pulling a building and putting it in one of the districts in paris and then you're trying to get your keys which are kind of like workers into the different districts so that you can uh go to these buildings collect resources uh there's sort of a some types of set collection um, and then you try to have the highest value of buildings in each of the districts sort of like an area majority type game and um you can never go backwards though so once you move a key to a higher value building you can't go to the lower so you're kind of committed to keep getting into better buildings um and then along the around the outside of the track there's this sort of one-way rondelle that does not actually go all the way around where uh, on your action you can just move as far as you want uh, but you are also stuck and you can't go backwards so you can sort of go along slower and pick up resources, you know, the, the benefits along the way, or you can just jump ahead and grab the, the one tile, you know, that's really going to work for you well. But in, you know, in the meantime, the people or person who is behind you is going to maybe continue getting all the rest of the stuff along the way. And maybe that's good. Maybe that's not, um, the, the game, I need to play it more. Um, but I felt like it was good enough to jump onto the list because it, it uh, feels just like a Kramer Kiesling game. It's where it's uh, interesting choices on every turn, but it's simple enough to be pretty, pretty approachable, I think for a large audience. So that's uh, my number nine Paris. Yeah. I completely forgot about this game. Actually probably could be on honorable mentions or even in the high uh, numbers here. Yeah. It's a good game. I think I just wish we had played it with more than two. That's about yep. it. <laughs> I definitely need to play it more, but I, I don't know that this would um, fall on my list. Maybe other games would jump ahead of it, but strong and really enjoyable. Yeah, I, I didn't get a chance to play it, but it, it was uh, on my list of games to play. That's for sure. Keesley and Kramer, I think, is a great team. And if you say it sounds, it it feels like a Keesley and Kramer game, I'm on board. All right, my number eight is New York Zoo, which was uh, by Uwe Rosenberg. Uh, this is like his polyomino tile placing games, like cottage garden and well, the other um seasons season games i guess i would call them uh, but this one has the kind of uh like caverna type thing in it where you're you're also like breeding animals and i found that an interesting mix and i really enjoyed it it was like really easy to grasp as far as rules go really easy to teach but the strategy not so much uh basically on your turn you're like you can move this piece a little bit and take uh, either an animal to put on your polyomino pieces or you can take a polyomino piece. When you fill up a polyomino piece with animals, then that will give you access to bigger tiles. And what you're pretty much trying to do is just fill up your board. And I find it to be really fun. And it and the solo game was actually pretty good, which uh, this year meant a lot, actually, if the solo game worked. So that's why it's my number eight, New York Zoo. I don't think you guys got a chance to play this. No, I 
probably should have suggested it. Actually, I completely forgot that it's uh, one of those times when we were at your place. I'm kind of looking forward to playing it because I'm not sure if I'm going to like it, but I generally like polyomino games. Uh, I was kind of interested in the animal breeding mechanic, which I wasn't super crazy about in previous Uve games, but maybe this one will be good. Well, you're not playing an Uve game unless you have animal husbandry. So yep. this is... Yeah. Right up. You know, this one looks good. I I think I, you know, it's been on my list of ones that I'd like to play. I think I'll like it because I tend to enjoy um, polyomino games or games that incorporate that style of gameplay. So this one is still on my to play list. Well, speaking of polyomino games, which Trevor highly enjoys, my number eight. Are we on eight? Yes, we are. My number eight is My City, the best polyomino game of 2020. Uh, just kidding. Actually, looking at my list, yeah, apparently it is the best polyomino games of game of 2020. Uh, no, it's a really fun game. Um, not super complicated, especially. Uh, I'm joking with Trevor because we started a campaign with uh, uh, with him, and we only went through three games. We have only gone through three games so far which in a lot of games would be a lot, but in this one, every game is like 20 minutes. Very, very, very simple polyomino game where you reveal a card and everyone places that polyomino and uh, basically there's a few rules with scoring, but everyone's basically trying to kind of fill up their board perfectly and try to have no gaps kind of is probably the most important objective and kind of group some colors together. I'm looking forward to kind of how the game progresses. I'm hoping that it introduces interesting new mechanics. Uh, but it is kind of a weird, very, very short game where actually the rulebook suggests that you play like two or three games, kind of like a chapter um, together. I guess I should have said that the game is uh, also a campaign game, uh, also legacy. Yeah, we're putting on stickers on things and you open envelopes and new things are going to be coming out. I think there's 24 games, right? I think it's 24. Um, then, like I say, every envelope has like a thematic kind of uh, curve or something or a plot or whatever. And uh, like I was saying, the rulebook suggests that you play the entire thing in one sitting. We haven't really been following that as much, but... Uh, I'm looking forward to kind of playing it more. Uh, it reminds me kind of like a, uh, playing it of Karuba, uh, which is another game which uh, is like a reveal one thing and everyone places it kind of a game. Uh, just really kind of light, uh, really fun, really easy to pick up, just kind of uh, straightforward game. Uh, interesting decisions, also kind of lucky. Um, so yeah, yep. so far at least. And that's my city. Um, it's on, uh, was it the winner of Spiel des Jahres or something? Kenner Spiel, maybe. No. I think you're I right. I remember. think it was Kenner. But anyway, I actually have a couple of games. I guess I don't dislike uh, Spiel des Jahres as much as I think. You're I not think, as counter counterculture as you'd like everyone to believe, Risto. Yeah, maybe <laughs> not after all. I think Kenner. Uh, yeah, this I think, is a uh, good pick. Um, this is on my... Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I think Pictures was actually the, the Spiel des Jahres winner. I think this was the Kenner Spiel. Kenner Spiel, I uh, think. Pictures yeah. was, of course, the better game. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is a really good pick, So It's one of my honorable mentions. Um, uh, 
I I think that this is maybe the first polyomino style game where I mean because it's sort of a flip in place, right? So you're flipping these cards to place the tiles out, and there's only you know you have um, the set number of tiles, and so you know what cards are going to be coming, and so there's sort of that tension of I really want this card to come before that one does, so that I can put this piece here, and if it doesn't, how do I adjust? And so that's where kind of luck can come in, but it also makes for a fun puzzle every time. So the the times we have played. Uh, it's been really enjoyable. We just haven't gone back to it because we've also been playing some other games with uh, sort of campaign multiple play style. Well, I'm glad you guys enjoyed it because I haven't played it, but I did give it as a Christmas gift to a friend. So it's kind of a blind gift. So glad to hear it's good. Good gift. <laughs> mm-hmm. Is he going to start a campaign with someone? Maybe I should be on two campaigns at the same time. That might be exciting. I'll give you his phone number. <laughs> then you know what? Then you know it's coming. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, I'll challenge your assertion that that's the best polyomino style game of the year because my number eight is in the Hall of the Mountain King, um, which is not entirely polyomino, but it does have a polyomino aspect to it. Uh, so the theme of the game is right: you're these dwarves digging through this mountain to find your halls and get gems and and all that type of stuff. And so you're placing these polyominoes on a shared board to make it to certain points first and then carve out areas so that you can build um, certain types of rooms and halls and that type of stuff to, to score points. And the one of the parts I just love about this game is how resource generation or production works, which is you're, you're playing dwarf cards in front of you um, in sort of a pyramid style where, you know, you'd have to, if you want to have one on top, you'd have to lay three, then two on top of those and one on top of that. And when you activate the, you know, the dwarf on top, you're going to waterfall and act, produce all the, the resources below that card that are down the waterfall from it. And then, you know, those, each of those cards has a maximum amount of resources and so once you produce, you then have to figure out how am I going to spend all this so that when I produce again, uh, I'm not, you know, being inefficient by producing on a card that's full and can't take more right now. Um, really cool game, I thought. Uh, it's from Burnt Island Games, I believe. Uh, the designers, I don't know well, Jay Cormier and, and Graham jo- Hans or Johns. Uh, but this was a cool game that I am looking forward to playing more. Uh, actually, I agree. I do like this better. However, it's from well, the Kickstarter fulfilled, and I think the Kickstarter was set to fulfill in December, so that's a lie. Um, and I'm, I'm and the retail kidding. version didn't I, I, hit until twenty twenty, I think. Yeah, yeah, it's true. The retail version definitely didn't hit until twenty twenty. I'm pretty sure I played this last year with like Brandon, though I distinctly remember. Uh, but yeah, I really like this game. It's really cool. Uh, basically, uh, some Kickstarters have like hooks, and this one was like Trevor was saying the resource generation pyramid. When I read how that worked, I was like, yeah, that's really cool. I'm amazed that no one's done this previously and yeah really cool game i really like so this it. is my one of mine that's debatable as to what year it actually is but in my mind it's a 2020 no, game I'm, I'm joking i should be the one to say i have uh, some 2019 games as well so whatever well what is it jay Comeyer? is that one of the designers 
Jay Cormier and Graham Johns Jans. Well, Jay Cormier. Yeah, I, I was just looking where he did junk art. To find out where he's from to see if he can. He did do junk art, I think. Yeah, I'm looking at his. Oh, Acroteer. Acroteer yeah, as well. is really Acroteer good. Acroteer is really good. I like good that game. one too. Yeah, Acroteer is great. Actually, I've looked at Belfort as well. I'm really interested in that game, but I didn't back it. There was a Kickstarter, so, oh well, maybe someday. Belfort looks really cool. Anyway, he liked, he likes dwarves, I guess, or something. <laughs> All right, uh, my number seven is a surprise to even myself, and even that it's like not very high, but it's that it's number seven. It is Night of the Living Dead, a zombicide game by Come On Limited. This game was one of those games when it was announced, I said, you know what, I'm going to try not to buy this game because I'm probably not going to like it, but I love the theme, and I couldn't resist. I bought it, I played it, and I was like, oh, actually... I like it better than any of the other Zombicide games. And the problem with these Zombicide games, in my opinion, as they went along, that seemed that they got more convoluted. And this one kind of streamlines it even more than the first one. It has the fixed rules that the first one didn't have. However, it's very simplistic. It took out the noise tokens, which was annoying to have to upkeep on. And it, it's just extremely easy to play, but really fun and really thematic. And the reason why I don't, I don't mind the dice rolling in this game necessarily. Like you might think that's the problem I would have with it. It's not that if it was a Euro game, I'd definitely be offended by the dice in it and how they work because it's roll to resolve hits. However, it makes sense to me in this game because it's thematic. Like I don't feel like these survivors are like gun toting going to the gun range all the time uh they're just like regular civilians that might have never even held a gun so it makes sense to me to roll dice and see what happens uh i guess the re-rolls are a little weird but maybe you uh get some reloading skills i don't know anyway it felt very thematic in the old uh zombicide game the missions felt very redundant get to x and then go to another x so this one's more like building up cabin and doing other things within the scenario i also found it very interesting that it's the first scenario is the movie but then after that it's like what if the survivors actually uh, came to an agreement and cooperated and carried on and that's where the scenarios take you i was Happy when I played it, excited to play it again, and I would be excited to play it yet again. So that's why I made my number seven, Night of the Living Dead, a zombicide game. Yeah, that is truly amazing. That Simon game, it's especially Zombicide, made it to top top ten. No, I'm actually joking. I think it's uh, probably going to be a better game than Zombicide, and I definitely like the theme more. And I would even play it with you sometime. So yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd uh, play it. I've. Um... I used to have Black Plague, but I sold it to someone who is going to play it more than I will. And I've played Invader and the Green Horde one. So I've played to several different versions of it. Um, and I, I think it's a, a fun game to play if you're in the right mood. So yeah, I'd, I'd be willing to give it a shot. All right. Uh, my number seven is the crew the quest for planet nine this is one of uh, those 
cheats of mine because this is a 2019 game technically but what happened in 2019 is we kind of played it like one time and then we're like meh this game is not as good as i as we thought and we just kind of forgot about it uh when 2020 hit with all the situations i started playing it on board game arena and i actually really like it like it i think it's a nice relaxing game it's co-op which is probably why it's relaxing uh, you after playing it uh, more and more, you can definitely kind of see uh, kind of what it takes to be kind of good in this game. Uh, like with most co-ops and just games in general, uh, you kind of start seeing mistakes or people who are inexperienced and like what they should have done. And, you know, like you just get better at the game, I guess is all I'm saying. I think I've played this game like over a hundred times now. And some of these sessions have been just like insane. <laughs> uh, I think I, my longest session was mission one through, I think we made it to like 38, not quite to 45, <laughs> which, which took like literally like three or four hours i think on board game arena which is just kind of pathological uh it's a lot of crew a lot of the crew uh what the game is it's very simple trick-taking game where you distribute some tasks usually or you have a mission objective and the tasks are just kind of take the tricks in a particular order or you need to end up with this particular cards uh, very kind of simple straightforward game but some of those uh, missions are just kind of the way the cards are dealt out can be very interesting of like, how do we actually make this work? Because it's not uh, as straightforward sometimes. You don't necessarily get the task that you want or whatever, you know, it's a card game. Uh, so yeah, my op opinion of it has actually grown quite a bit and uh, even more, uh, it seems like I'm not as uh, weird counterculture kind of culture uh, games weird though because it's uh Kenner spiel for last year i think for uh, spiel des Jahres. so yeah that's the crew the quest for planet nine yeah i really like this game it wasn't on my list because i was under the impression it came out 2019 but as you said yep. you cheated so <laughs> You were under the correct impression. That is the correct impression as well. <laughs> I agree. It's a good pick. I, I like trick-taking games quite a bit. Yeah, this no, one, my, it grows on you. My rationale is, like Trevor was saying, uh, I think you'll also start playing at the board game arena more i think we played it like literally one time last year and we just like completely dismissed it and uh it really came back in 2020 for me like i actually feel like i never really played it last year it was just kind of like meh all right uh my number seven um is tawantin suyu from uh, Board and Dice, designed by David Turtsey. Uh, I've talked about this game sort of ad nauseum on our last episode, so you can take a listen there if you want to hear more details. But uh, just my favorite, um, or actually my two favorite parts of this game are the twist on worker placement. Right, So placing on this um, hill with a temple at the top and you know, there's different costs associated with placing your worker. Uh, then their your worker placement could potentially be boosted if you're holding the right cards, and then um, it could be boosted more if you're placing 
the right color in the right spot. Um, so that puzzle is, is um, you know, it can be kind of brain burning, but I enjoy that, uh, that kind of gameplay. So it, I thought it was a cool twist on worker placement. And then I, I also do really enjoy games that have follow mechanics. Um, some, of, some of the games I enjoy playing most, you know, someone will take an action and then it provides some sort of follow action for table for players around the table. And I, th- I think that really helps in a game like this that's kind of heavier and has a lot going on because it keeps you engaged in what the other players are doing. Um, and so I have a suspicion that's kind of why this mechanic was included was to to keep everybody on the edge of their seat and involved in what's happening in the game. Uh, we'll see if that's actually the case. Is hopefully we'll get this table with more more players. Um, but that is my number seven. Tawantin Suyu. Gazoon tight. <laughs> GG. No one has played it. Yeah, I didn't play it. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> All right, my number six might sound like a cheat. It's Brussels 1897, not to be confused with 1893. That was the board game. This is the card game. It definitely didn't release into the States until 2020. But it's a card game, and uh, I haven't played the original board game, but I hear that it's not as good. But I really enjoyed the card game quite a bit. I really like using cards as workers, and it's more of like, Almost you're like bidding with the workers in certain spots, and there's kind of a lot going on in it as far as a card game goes. In fact, you know, I was playing it and setting it up and going like, this is a card game, but it just feels like a board game. And it was, uh, seemed like it would be significantly shorter than the board game, but I had a lot of fun playing this, and I played it as a two player game twice and had a lot of fun playing it. And that's why it's my number six Brussels 1897. Were you not there when we played the full board game? Yeah, I thought you were. That's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah, I'm, I'm amazed you've been able to avoid avoid the board game. I've played it like three or four times now, I think. Wait, did I actually play? I think I, I think I did play it. Yeah, you. we played it recently. That's so strange. Yeah, I completely forgot, but I'm looking at the board game. I absolutely played this, and I liked yeah. it a lot. I was going to say, we Weird. played this. Yeah, I like blocked it out from my head. Well, I guess I we probably, know Brandon liked that one. I probably lost. Experience. That was probably the thing. And if I lose a well, game, then I the just... I just app you can check. Yeah. No, I played it. I definitely played it. If you've lost the game, you basically haven't played it yet. Yeah, that's how I feel about it. (laughs) Yeah, I had an interesting reaction to the card game because the first time I played it, I was like, eh, it's okay. Then I played the board game, um, which I really liked. And I was like, all right, let's give the card game another try. I've got the benefit of having played the board game. Now let's see how I like it. Then I bought the card game and played it again and actually liked it more. Maybe Risto did, liked it less. <laughs> I was going to say, again. yeah, when I played the card game, I thought it was okay. And then when I played it again, I thought it was okay. Maybe slightly <laughs> less okay. <laughs> so um, not, not, yeah, I could just, it's, I just prefer the board game for that one. Yeah. Personally, the card game is like I say, okay, there's nothing wrong with it uh it is shorter slightly but i would rather spend the time to actually play the actual board game in my opinion but whatever yeah that that's kind of where i ended up on the card game is i i would play it anytime someone wants to play it um but if there is time 
and people are out for it, I would always pick the board game. I think. True. Yeah. Uh, my number six is Clank Legacy Acquisitions Incorporated. Technically, 2019 release, and yeah, I think it was released in the, even in the United States in 2019. It's just a legacy game, and I think we actually even started playing it in 2019. Did we, or was it the beginning of 2020? I think I it was. Uh, definitely, it was definitely during COVID when we started. I think, or maybe just oh. before maybe like right before is what i remember but maybe i don't remember i don't know uh anyway basically uh we played through the entire campaign now which is why i'm talking about it and i think yeah it's uh it's a really good game um i like it just about the same as clank in space i think but i think as a legacy experience it's nice uh the humor in it uh, it's kind of a funny game you're competing there's a lot of like corporate humor or retail humor or something because that's why it's called acquisitions incorporated so the story has a lot of just kind of like uh, supposedly funny stuff which didn't always work uh, for me so i thought some of it was a little too silly but uh it was actually my first probably kind of larger legacy experience maybe even my first legacy experience and i thought it was really cool um i got a little bit burnt out of clank altogether to to be honest by the end um maybe now i'm in the mood for actually playing some more clank uh because we were going at it for like consistently like every week maybe a couple of times a week sometimes uh but it's a good game uh, if you like clank i think it's definitely worth trying uh like i say technically 2019 but we finished it mostly in 2020 and i think it was late 2019 when it came out anyway so clank legacy acquisitions incorporated uh the mechanics of it, I don't know. It's it's basically Clank uh, with with <laughs> legacy elements. Not nothing super innovative. Just kind of a different theme, uh, mix of mechanics between all Clank games, some different stuff from the regular, but mostly it's Clank. Yeah. Yeah, this one isn't on my list um, because I thought it was a 2019, but I yeah. agree. Great, great game. I am a huge Clank fan, and I think this is probably the most polished of the legacy approaches, or maybe just the one that I've played that works the best. Um, and it was it, it was just a lot of fun to play it. So I, I agree. It's a great, great game. Speaking of... 2020 they keep releasing stuff for clank i think 2020 had the asymmetric deck starts uh for clank which apparently worked for clank legacy as well so i think they just like keep publishing more and more for that system i think there's an expansion for clank in space as well i think it's a really cool system in general and i am uh, amazingly still happy to play it after like two or three years of clank games now uh, of all kinds of different iterations and stuff yeah, I didn't. They, I, they keep putting stuff out. I've I've told my credit card companies that it's not fraud. That all of these are on auto order. <laughs> <laughs> I, I yeah, I never got a chance to play Clank Legacy, and now it's just it's just too old. So I probably won't ever play it. Oh, should give it a shot. <laughs> I'm if just you, kidding. If you, if you uh, want to buy a copy, yeah, I probably will because I really do enjoy Clank, and I think the legacy aspect of this would be really neat. And yeah, I just need to uh, find a group to play it, and that might take a little bit longer. 
Yeah. Well, I'm sure I'd play with you again, but I can't really reset my game, so it will require a, a purchase. <laughs> and you can replay it after it's done, right? It's not throwaway. Yeah. Yeah. It becomes basically your own personalized board of clank um, and deck because, I mean, I'm not going to get into any spoilers, but you uh, certain decisions in the game influence cards that are available to you. Yeah, I really like that they're doing that now with legacy games is making them replayable. That was one of the the like caveats of me not buying them is the fact that like I don't really like throwing away $60. Yeah, my city as well. You turn it over and you there's an endless game they call it or whatever or uh, eternal eternal game, sorry. Eternal. All right, so my number 6 um we're on 6, right? Correct. Yes. Okay. I <laughs> just want to make sure I don't spoil my list here. All right. My number six is Marco Polo 2. Uh, it's published by Hansim Gluck and it's designed by Sol- Simone Luciani and Daniela Tashini. Um, so I, you know, I, I know some people are debating this game being on list this year because it's basically a re implementation of the first Marco Polo, um, as indicated by the name. But. Um, having played the first and the second recently, um, I could say that the, I think this game is different enough that it feels like a new game. Um, and, and Harissa can kind of share some feelings on, on that front. Um, but, you know, it's it's a game where you're going to have uh, one of your meeples traveling around um, the world or a portion of the world on a map and you've got dice placement spaces um, so you roll, I think, five of your own dice every round, and and the values depend. On, you know, the values of those dice determine where you can place them and how powerful certain actions can be. And you can unlock new abilities by placing outposts in cities around the world. Um, and then this the Marco Polo Two added in this guild system that has an engine building aspect. So you're getting additional things during uh, income turns, and they are add those guild symbols are also added requirements to some travel routes. There's a new resource type that um, is almost a wild. Uh, not quite, but then that resource can also be traded at new action spots that weren't in the first one to get. Uh, you know, the other types of resources, camels and gold and pepper or uh, people, <laughs> as Risto likes to call them, because the, the little pieces look like people if or a pepper shaker, I guess, if, depending on how you look at it. Um, I'm a fan of these two designers. This is a solid redesign of this game. And uh, when I saw it coming and kind of what they'd added to it, I instantly sold Marco Polo and bought this one as soon as I as soon as I get a hold on it, because I think it's just, in, in my opinion, it's twice as good as the first one. Yeah, I was actually, I was kind of became interested in whether this map is even real. I think it's like present day China, but it's during the Mongol invasions, maybe is when the cities are from, or like, I don't know if they're made up. It is, because it's uh, uh, the title, subtitle of the game is In the Service of the Khan yeah 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 so i think the map is as of like some specific time in the history of the world but it's semi-accurate i mean it's very like stylized in euro full of symbols and stuff but yeah it's actually a real part of the world there so i think it's like mostly present day china and some india uh, actually it goes all the way to egypt maybe whatever uh yeah really cool game um 
yeah, they they fixed a lot of things in it. But anyway, uh, yeah. Yeah, I, you know, I wasn't really excited when I played the first one, so I didn't have a lot of enthusiasm for this one. But hey, if Risto likes it, I should pr- probably try it. Number five. All right, my number five is probably at, at this point my favorite co-op game, and that's Back to the Future: Back in Time by Funko Games and Prospero Prospero Hall designed. I don't, I'm not really that big of a fan of co-op games, but this one did it for me, and mainly the theme. Uh, you're just you're playing the events in the first movie of Back to the Future. There's no time travel involved in it, so there's no like weird holes missing from the game because I think it's really hard to design a time travel game. However, this is just like playing through the storyline of Back to the Future, and you're using dice, but there's a lot of dice mitigation as well, and you're working to get the the time machines into the right place at the right time and that's when the game is going to end and when the clock strikes i don't remember what time but on the top of the board you you know the time is counting down for each each turn you take and different events will happen and you could even knock out biff which is pretty awesome and you're trying to also get um lorraine and george to fall in love and there's the cool little picture with tiles on it that will start flipping over and the your your um your brothers and your brother and sisters will start disappearing like in the movie. Um, I thought it was a, a clever design as far as co-op games go. And I had a lot of fun playing it and I would be up to playing it pretty much any time. And that's why it's my number five back to the future back in time. Uh, sounds good. This isn't Dyson um, time, right? No, that's very confusing, right? Cause both of them came I out. There were, I know there were, yeah, there were two this year, I think, that are like released right around the same time, and I can't remember which one this is. This is back to the. This is back in time. There's dice through time and back in time. Okay. So this is gotcha. the Prospero Hall designed game. Yeah, to be honest, I'm very skeptical of all these games, the entire line. However, I did like Horrified, so maybe I would like this one uh, if I ended, end up playing it someday. Yeah, I actually liked it better than Horrified, surprisingly enough, because so, I, I like the theme of Horrified yeah. better, though. Yeah, yeah, I'm just always kind of surprised when I like these games because I don't expect much from them, to be honest. So maybe that's the key is going with going with low expectations. Yeah, just go and saying this is going to be terrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like good a good co-op game. Um, emphasis on good because there are some co-op games out there that. Yeah, this is probably that are not good. <laughs> Very sophisticated conversation here, um, but I mean that's kind of I think what had branded skeptical about co-op games is that there are a lot of games out there that just say they're co-op, but then are really kind of just like a solo game. Um, but yeah, I'd be willing to give us a shot. The theme is certainly pulling in. It, you know, it's a lot of nostalgia there and really cool. So I think it'd be worth giving it a shot. <laughs> Yes, speaking of sophistication, actually, uh, this game has been probably the most sophisticated game of this designer, and it's Viscounts of the West Kingdom. Viscount. (laughs) Viscounts of the West Kingdom. Uh, The designer is Shams Phillips. Uh, Speaking of sophistication, uh, his previous games have kind of been frustrating to me for 
to some extent, uh, maybe because of the design, maybe because of luck, maybe because they're kind of too simple in a way. Uh, obviously not the, uh, maybe too predictable in some ways, but his designs actually keep getting better and better for me. Uh, I like his games more and more. Paladins was actually really good as well. Paladins of the West Kingdom. And Viscount is actually uh, maybe the first game of his that I felt like was really just kind of like, wow, well, this is it, you know. Um, I'm not feeling overly frustrated or I don't feel that there's like an overwhelming amount of luck, even though there is some, uh, like in some of his previous games. So I really liked it, actually, very surprisingly, because when it was on Kickstarter, uh, I was just kind of lukewarm about basically his designs have been kind of hit and miss for me. Uh, but when we tried this one, I was like, wow, this is actually really cool. Um, uh, it's a game where there's kind of a rondelle actually type of movement because you move in a circle around these locations. There's a little bit of deck building uh, built into it as well. There's a little bit of area majority built into it as well. Uh, you're kind of trying to put these people in the middle for uh, resources and there's kind of resource management as well. So you're trying to just kind of time things so that you can purchase cards um, so that you can do actions around the board. Basically, a lot of things kind of going on at the same time. Some set collection as well as far as scoring goes. Uh, I've done really well in some games because of uh, set collection actually aspect. So just a bunch of everything actually and it feels like a really good mix. Um, I'd say the most prominent is probably uh, maybe the cards because the cards really drive the game. So like the deck building aspect of, of the game. But uh, he has always some kind of innovation. I think in this game, it's kind of like that you play, what is it, three cards in front of you or something. I actually can't even remember the main yeah, mechanic. It's like there, a river of three cards that keeps sho you know, keep shoving the furthest to the right out every every turn. Yeah, so it's like kind of a flowing river of cards. So it's not like traditional deck building where you reveal your whole hand. It's very important to kind of set up your deck correctly. And actually, the funny thing is I can't remember details, but we did play it like three or four times, I think. And I liked it every time. It's a really, really good game. Um, yeah, it feels like playing a bunch of just mixed mechanisms together. Um, it actually feels somewhat reminiscent of something like Clank, maybe, but it's way different from Clank. By that, I mean you like play cards to kind of move around the map and collect resources and do things with them, but Clank is way more focused on deck building. I think uh, the aspects of kind of area control and resource management are way more pronounced in Viscounts, but if you like Shem Phillips games and you probably know quite a few of uh, of his uh, I think that's a really good one uh, because of COVID maybe it's flown a little bit under the radar because now everyone's talking about his latest and greatest uh, Raiders of uh, Scythia or uh, like I, I, I like calling it Scythia just because it's funny but um, I think Viscounts of the West Kingdom is really good um, actually one of the few games of his that I would consider owning sometime. So yeah, really cool game. Yeah. They're also pushing his new roll and write game. I think now it's wall of something. <laughs> wall of something. Yeah. Wall of, it starts with an despair. H, I think. <laughs> wall of despair. <laughs> Just kidding. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. No, my cast is really good. 
All right. Uh, speaking of games that frustrate Tristo, my number five is Tekenu, Obelisk of the Sun. This is uh, published by Borden Dice, and I can feel Tristo sinking into despair as I talk about this. Uh, designers Daniela Tashini and, and David Tertzi. Um, this is a dice drafting game, and the, the main twist on dice drafting here is that there's this um, obelisk on the board with, I think, six sections, um, and depending on the orientation of the obelisk, which changes um, every two rounds, I think it rotates, um, the dice will either be in the full light or they'll be, or I guess, blessed is what they're called, and then if they're in the middle, they're uh, just regular shadow dice, and then if they're in the inner ring, they're uh, tainted or... or uh, Curse dice or whatever, whatever the I forget the exact terminology, but basically there's uh, depending on the orientation of the obelisk, the dice um, colors will be in one of three spots, and if they're on the inner ring, they you can't pull them at all unless you have cheaty technology cards or do a special. Uh, I think it's called an Anubis action that lets you pull from anywhere. Um, and then if they're on the outside of the ring, they're blessed dice, and so they'll kind of give you the best power, um, theoretically the best o options for those dice, and then in the middle it's just kind of, um, you know, whatever. And then where you're pulling those dice, and, and depending on where you pull them from, they'll land on scales on your player board, which uh, that scale mechanic then turns into determining player order for the next round, whether you were balanced or not, having painted and black dice and, and all that. Um, the game is otherwise, you know, very much in the line of Tashini's other games, very point salad. There's uh, lots of different things you can do. Uh, you can build buildings for the people or you can build temples for the rich gods and uh sort of loosely associated egyptian theme very beige board um there is a also i think a, a, what i enjoy uh, a, a unique twist or maybe not unique but i just like this twist on the card river mechanic where um th there's actually a really large card river i think it's maybe 12 to 16 cards um and it's actually tiered, um, but the cards don't slide down as you pull them. There's actually each of the spots is, is reserved for a specific type of card. So it might be a one-time benefit card, or it might be a technology engine building card, or it might be an endgame scoring card. And if a card is pulled from that slot, it's replaced with a card of that type. So there, at any given time, there's going to be the same um, spread of types of cards available, um, but you know they don't slide all the way down. So the best cards are never going to be at the bottom. So in order to access them, you have to move uh, people up on certain tracks. Um, I like the game. I'm a sucker for for dice drafting, and I'm a sucker for Tashini's designs in general. So I, I liked this. I think members of our group maybe have not liked it as much, but uh, Takenu is my number five. Yeah, there is a mini expansion, by the way. I didn't realize. Um, yeah, my first reaction when I saw this game was, wow, this game is beige. And yeah, it's pretty <laughs> beige. By that, I mean, there's the theme is just kind of not really there. It's like the Shinies games of basically just kind of... Beige and new. 
Yeah. Uh, no, my impression of this game is it's that it's kind of just a lot of work to get things done in general and very punishing in some respects to where sometimes it just feels like uh, you also have very few actions, which is the other uh, funny thing is like, so some of those very few actions can be end up being really kind of bad <laughs> just feel really bad so you have to be really careful to not have bad actions like i say just uh, very reminiscent of designs like trismegistus and um, others which have grown on me i guess this one there's some situations that happened in the first couple of games which i was like me having to do with technologies uh, where I was like, eh, I don't know about this idea. The scores did end up pretty close, but just for some reason, playing the game was not, um, I wasn't super huge fan of for, for one reason or another. Yeah, I tend to file Tashini games under uh, games I should like, but I don't. And I never gave this one a chance, but I might be forced to play it sometime. <laughs> I like. I like, <laughs> I like some some of them I kind of grow into like I really dislike Trismegistus and now I just kind of like tolerate it <laughs> but uh, yeah yeah maybe uh, I was kind of joking but uh, if I force myself to play this like 10 times maybe I'll actually end up uh, tolerating it as well <laughs> I don't know why but I, I kind of like in Tashini's games there's a bit of a struggle Right. It's, it's, it's not bit. necessarily it's not necessarily a game that you're going to play like, oh, I've, I'm going to have, you know, people are going to be laughing on the floor, play, having fun playing this game. It's it's really is a mental exercise. And it, it, there's it's a you know, a really difficult puzzle to solve. And like Carissa said, you have 16 turns in this game. So every turn matters, you know, a lot. And so, you know, I, I think it's it's a cool puzzle to solve but it can, I can see how it could be frustrating. Yeah, that's actually maybe one of the things for me is like a potentially negative reaction towards games which have very few turns. I, I really kind of don't like games that have very few turns. I like a lot of turns or just a lot of just kind of going around in games. And this one is 16 things and you're done. That's about it. All right, my number four is going to be a little difficult to talk about because we played it at the beginning of 2020, and man, does that seem like a long time ago. But it needs to be on this list because it's On Mars by Vital Lacerda, Eagle Griffin Games. What I remember from the game is enjoying it quite a bit, uh, feeling that it was a lot better than his previous game, which was Escape Plan, which was a little bit of a disappointment. I still enjoyed it for the most part, but... This felt like he returned to the games that he actually, um, that I enjoy that he makes. Uh, there's a little bit of worker placement, a little bit of um, uh, area influence. And what I remember is like you're going from, you're colonating Mars and you're going from Mars via your workers to orbit and back. And you could actually like kind of miss the boat and have to stay behind. And that's kind of difficult. But I remember really enjoying this. I didn't get a chance to play it because of the pandemic hit and the the person who owned it i didn't see them so and it, this is not a game that i need to buy right now because of the pandemic i can't see me playing this this game two players 
or have enough time to play it in the uh, in the small amount of time that we have. So I need to play it more, but it's definitely higher on my list because I remember enjoying it quite a bit, and that's on Mars. Yeah, that's probably an honorable mention for me as well. It's um, good. Yeah, one of those games that I just feel like I need to play more. Uh, I tried some strategies in my previous games which weren't super successful, but definitely kind of a deep game to explore. So like most of Lacerda's games. And yeah, I agree, kind of a return to form for him after Escape Plan, which I also didn't like so much, even though it wasn't terrible. Yeah, I thought this was actually going to be a crossover for at least me and you, but... Yeah, I thought about it actually for a long time, but yeah, I don't know. To be honest, if I when push comes to shove, I would rather play Lisboa from him or Kanban or something. I'm not super sold that this is the ultimate Lacerda game out there. Uh, really good game, but yeah. Well, I have this one, Brandon, so we can play it sometime. <laughs> okay, great. Um, and uh, I'll I'll talk about it later. Yep, I figured. <laughs> Spoilers. <laughs> anyway, on that note, my uh, number five, four, uh, four is actually uh, kind of a cheat, but whatever, I'll take it. Uh, technically, the game has been released in 2017, which is hilarious. However, there's an expansion we released in 2020, and I think the expansions actually really improved the game. Uh, it's Downforce. Uh, this is one of those games where we played it, kind of like the crew, and just kind of dismissed it after, I think, one or two plays. I wasn't myself super sold on it, uh, but because of the pandemic and because it's on Board Game Arena, it actually got released during the summer, and there was a huge influx of people wanting to play it. Now it's died a little bit. You can still find the game, but uh, it's... Yeah, uh, there was a period of a month where I played like over a hundred games of this game, kind of like several games per day, as you might imagine, because yeah, hundred games one month. Uh, uh, it's a game, really. It looks like a racing game, but it's not exactly a racing game because it's a very weird game where the whole game is full of shared incentives, which feels kind of like uh, stock games, which I also not don't really like all of them, just a few select games. Uh, shared incentives is kind of a very, uh, uh, kind of a dangerous, uh, what's it called? Dangerous design to me because uh, when two people work for each other, uh, basically the other two people get left behind which is kind of my main criticisms of those uh, the criticism of those kind of games but this one works there's a lot of hidden stuff which i think is why it works uh you bet on a car and you can definitely bet on a different car it's all about betting on cars which car is going to win the race and uh you can definitely bet on a different car you can have your car car finish last and the other car win and you can definitely win the game basically it's it's very weighted towards you get some points for your car finishing high but it's very weighted towards picking the correct car and actually one of the most satisfying games and uh, satisfying situations or things that you can do in the game in my opinion is actually bet on a car that looks really bad basically they're like last or like second to last or some they, they look horrible uh, when it's time to bet which is kind of 
early, medium, and late game, and uh, actually pushing that card to to the win. And the game allows for that. There's uh, cards which are kind of balanced and mechanics which kind of balance it out. So any car has a pretty good chance of winning, depending on player decisions. And like I say, those shared incentives. So basically, if betting and kind of working unexpectedly with someone else kind of in a hidden way sounds good to you it's a really good game i think if you like racing so to speak this may not actually be a good fit for you because like i say i kind of approached it as a racing game and just kind of like oh yeah my car should win but it's definitely not a racing game in the traditional sense um you own cars but that doesn't mean much basically it's all about uh, just kind of picking the right horse huh, so to speak but picking the right car in this uh situation i think the expansions actually add quite a bit to the game uh, technically i'm talking about wild ride which is an expansion which was released in 2020 there was a previous expansion as well the expansions are new maps which for most games it's kind of like hey, new maps whatever uh this one i think it's actually really cool because they introduce completely new mechanics uh for example in wild ride there's one car uh, one map with like ramps so there's a lot of importance on choke points kind of in the game and this map is kind of narrow and surprising because there's a lot of ramps which kind of push cars really fast forward kind of unexpectedly and a lot of things can really change rapidly which is very interesting uh that's the aloha sands map the other map actually has kind of a built-in uh catch-up mechanic so to speak because it has these animals which make the map kind of narrower or create choke points where you can block other cars be behind cars that's why they're important but those animals move as the game progresses and it kind of naturally kind of slows down the leader a little bit um and this just uh kind of opens up the back so it's kind of a moving choke point so like the maps are not just maps so i'm saying is like if you have the base game and you really like it i think the expansions are definitely worth getting i really like the new new stuff uh, new mechanics that they introduce so that's downforce technically the wild ride expansion was 2020 the game 2017 yeah i mean we're not doing a uh we're not doing a best expansions of 2020, so I guess this works. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Shade thrown. <laughs> yeah. My game suck, okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, my number four, because I like it exactly one more than Hristo, is Vikings of the West Kingdom. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually do like, um, at least lately, Shem Phillips games. And uh, this is actually, I think, co-designed with S.J. McDonald, uh, one of Shem's friends, I think. Yeah, I kind of felt bad about saying that. Sorry. Most of his games are with S.J. McDonald, so it's not just him. It's usually him and S.J. McDonald. Yeah. I don't know what their relationship is, whatever. Um, so I, th- I have enjoyed the West Kingdom series. So Architects, Paladins, Viscounts. I think Viscounts is my favorite of the three, though, for many of the same reasons Fristo said. I wasn't a fan of the North Sea series, and... The Raiders of Scythia was just a relaunch of uh, Raiders of the North Sea, which I'm not a huge fan of. So 
not really interested in that game, but this Viscounts hits some some really cool, sweet spots. Uh, building, you know, it brings deck building in, as Riso mentioned, and then it's got a cool rondel, sort of a double rondel mechanic where you have an inner ring and an outer ring, where it, wherever your your uh, Viscount Meeple lands, that determines the actions that are available to you. It's got an interesting way of adding cards into your deck, and then it has sort of that falling river. Um, that we talked about earlier. So I uh, don't need to go into the depths of this game again um, since we covered it earlier, but the great pick, I, I like Vicounts a lot, and that's why it's my number four. Yeah, I kind of figured it would be on both of your guys' lists, but I haven't played it. I wasn't a big fan of the original trilogy, but I should probably give the second trilogy a try. We'll make you play it sometime. I'm sure it'll happen. All right, my number three. We actually just played it not too recently. What? No, we played it recently, and I enjoyed it actually quite a bit, and it's the Red Cathedral. Uh, The Red Cathedral is a rondelle-style game where you're really just using the rondelle to get resources. Uh, The main kind of mechanism of the game is like an area majority type thing where you're using those resources to build parts of a cathedral. Uh, Many different cathedrals, and you're going to, at the end of the game, score each one. And I thought that the scoring was pretty interesting where you're going to um, count up the everybody's pieces uh there's flags and then there's decorations and flags are going to be two points and decorations are going to be one point um and you count up everybody's and that's going to be what the score is for the that particular tower and then whoever has majority gets the whole points whoever is second place gets half and then the third player gets a third of those points and i found that pretty interesting um it's also i would say almost an engine building game because when you're going when you're going on these towers like you have a couple different options on your turn you could go to the rondelle and move these colored dice the amount that it says on the pips and you can get resources that way the other thing you could do is you can add a flag and you could only add a flag in at the bottom most um but if it, it has to be built from bottom to top is what i'm saying and there's tiles on these that you claim and you take the tiles and you pay for them and then you put them on your board next to the colored dice and then so every time you move that colored dice you're going to get to do whatever the tile says and sometimes it's collect resources from a different colored dice or sometimes it's just straight up gives you a particular resource and then you could uh decorate and fulfill uh the the tower requirements and i found it uh interesting enough I actually thought I was going to like the game a little bit more. The dice are a little funny in a rondelle. We were talking about maybe just being actual pieces and you could move them up to a certain amount. But uh, the dice didn't bother me as much to maybe to like taint the whole game. But uh, I'm really excited to play more of it. And uh, that's why it's my number three, the Red Cathedral. Plus, you can play rubles to move all of them extra, right? Yeah, that's yeah. exactly <laughs> how you play the game. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, no, the joke there is I was cheating for half the game by technically moving all the dice, but I'm not sure how much I actually did it. I just don't know, but we definitely should replay the game with the right rules. I'm looking forward to There was another thing that we got wrong with the workshops activation. They activate when you get them. Uh, speaking of which, there's a lot of just kind of really weird rulings. Uh, if 
you have the game, just definitely go on BGG forums and check some things having to do with gems as well. That was very surprising. Yeah. Overall, though, I really like this game as well. I was really surprised. That reminds me a little bit of Xi'an as far as uh, X-I-A-N, like the city of Xi'an, the Chinese city where the Terracotta army is. Uh, the, kind of not the type of game it is. Not, I mean, not the mechanics of the game, but the type of game it is. Kind of a short, punchy, really cool uh, game uh, yeah pretty solid in my opinion yeah really uh, definitely probably honorable mention for me yeah i agree i actually um, liked the um how the dice i didn't mind that you re-roll the dice because that was kind of one of the decision points of uh i move the die there so i re-roll that and you know maybe that influences another player I, uh, you know, just echo everything you guys said. Really cool game. Looking forward to playing it. This is actually on my honorable mentions list. Um, so looking forward to getting it to the table more. Yeah, I didn't mind so much rolling the yeah, dice afterwards. Really cool is kind of a smaller game. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't mind uh, rolling the dice at all. I what I mind is just that it's sometimes you're just locked into crap. Like the whole board is like I can't do nothing with this. And that that's that's the only problem I have with the dice, not re-rolling them. Yeah. I feel like it's good for them to there is, continuously change. Yeah, there is kind of the I don't know if prisoner's dilemma is the right word, but there's sort of that dilemma <laughs> of somebody has to do the crap turn first. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you just kind of like hold out and do other things as long as you can until someone does that thing. Correct. Yeah, set up your neighbor situation. Uh, maybe collective action problem is actually what it is. I've thought about it because uh, huh, reminds me of a different game called Azul, where we had a discussion of uh, at least some part of your turn need to be needs to be <laughs> considerations of <laughs> what the other people mm -hmm. get. So, or the, at least part of your turn has to be defense. That was the the discussion that we had. Kind of uh, anyway, our gaming theory discussions in in our gaming group uh but yeah definitely has that vibe of you can take some action that doesn't benefit you so much because you really are desperate for it to set someone else up for some epic ridiculous action and everyone around the table is kind of like huh, okay well that's that's nice but yeah overall i think uh it's, it's like i say surprisingly cool game for kind of how small it is uh, my number three in our top 10 games of 2019 oh is Marco Polo 2. Oh, oh you liked it wow. more than I <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, actually, surprise, surprisingly to me, I really liked this game. And I'm not sure if it's because uh, I was joking that it's like Toshini has like whipped me into submission or something. <laughs> basically like i've been so abused by his games that i don't even mind anymore you know it's just kind of like eh, whatever because the first time i played marco polo which was marco polo one i was kind of like uh this game is kind of a lot of effort and a lot of setup for not much off not, not much payoff and not much fun which kind of is the vibe of his games is they're kind of a lot of effort for not much to happen in the end but i really think the stuff that they've done to this game has like improved it a lot and i didn't want to talk about it when trevor was talking about it but i think two key things for me one in the first game you could just sit in the starting city and fulfill contracts like the entire game which 
is just kind of ridiculous because the game includes a board which you're supposed to travel on and it was even possible to win i think uh, i've heard I, it hasn't happened to me because i didn't play it that much i think i only played it a couple of times but uh someone like didn't move at all and won the game which is just ridiculous because if you look at the game it has a map of different locations and engine stuff and like basically it just like tells you that you can kind of forget about it but no this one actually fixes it by you have to move at least like two spaces now that I look at the board to even be able to uh, one space at least one space to even be able to do contracts and I think they've powered up the city engine stuff that you can do where it's much better the other thing that's critical is you get a nice simple progression of points according to how many cities you visited I don't think that's even a thing in the first game I think the cities were just for the engine benefits so because the cities like travel by itself is worth points based on these like flag set collection thingies uh it makes the game a lot more it makes travel basically just a lot more interesting which the first game desperately needed um also i just really like just the game in general it feels really cool kind of planning out things that you can do sometimes i was i had a lot of concerns that you could get really screwed like in most of his games where basically sometimes you're just like so screwed that you can't even do anything or like you have to do some really bad action but i feel like in this one uh it's not so bad like it's definitely not as bad as i thought uh with some planning most actions that you take are feel good and that's not always the case in Hall's, all of his games uh, occasionally yeah you can do some kind of desperate action that if you ran out of money or something but I think if you plan generally your strategy, strategy it will work out uh, pretty well for you uh, basically yeah they've improved the game in every way I think that makes the first game completely obsolete I really like this game and that's Marco Polo 2 best game of 2019 uh, just kidding uh, technically there is an <laughs> your expansion number, your number 2 and 1 <laughs> <laughs> no no uh, technically there's an expansion for 2020 so check it out expansion called the caravan super critical i haven't played with it i have no idea what it is <laughs> i'm just kidding uh no it was a late 2019 release i actually remember uh matt and justine talking about like getting wanting to play it towards the end of 19 and we just kind of never got around to it uh, so i think for most of the us 20 uh, late 19 anyway so that's marco polo 2 marty's trying to figure out how to buy that expansion i think it's only available in germany right now yes uh, i think it's some kind of a joke mini expansion that some games get Saturday. i think it's not critical at all but yeah. trevor's a completionist so that's me all right, my number three um, maybe has crossover, but we'll see. I don't know at this point. Uh, it's Alma Mater, uh, published by Eggerspiel. The designers of the, I'm going to butcher this this pronunciation, but the Akitoka or Achitoka group out of Italy, uh, Flaminia Bersina, Virginio Gigli, or Gigli, however you pronounce that last name, uh, Stefano Luperto and Antonio Tinto. Um, sort of in the same universe, I think, as Coimbra. Uh, I like this game a lot. It's it's a you know at its core a worker placement game, and the theme is you're trying to attract uh, professors and students to your university to sell your books to other universities, and uh, you know all the cool university type stuff. Um, so there's some really cool 
engine building type things in this game, uh, set collection scoring. The I really probably one of the most interesting aspects of this game to me is um, how the books are used. So there's only one resource really is books. Uh, you do have money, but um, that's just the currency. So the, but the the value of the books change depending on a couple of things. Um, there's a a large tech track on the side of the board and whoever's highest on that tech track their book so that player color book is going to be the most valuable book which then uh ripples into what do students cost to recruit because students cost books to recruit them to your university um and and you have to use uh certain numbers of different values of books to bring them in also the first time anybody recruits a professor they establish the book price for that professor by how many of each color they pay um you know there's there's one professor i think that costs three different types of books and then three and four and you know they cost more the better they are um, so there's an interesting aspect there of where you want your book value to play to, to fall because one of the actions in the worker spaces is buying books from other players. Um, and so there's sort of this kind of closed economy um, aspect to the game that I just find really interesting. Um, and the game has been cool. We, I think we've probably played it three, four or five times now, and it's just been a blast every time we played it. I've enjoyed it quite a bit. And that's my number three alma mater. All right. We're moving on. <laughs> you guys aren't going to talk about it, right? <laughs> no, not at all. It's, it's not going to happen. <laughs> Yeah, my number two is alma mater. Um, <laughs> Copycat. <laughs> I got there first. <laughs> but I like it more, apparently. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, Trevor said uh, he hit a lot of points on, on why I like it. The The book economy I found um, to be extremely interesting and also the tracks. And we I played it three times. And what I noticed about it is the first time I played it, I liked it. And every play after that i liked it even more in the third play even i was doing some weird thing with just going on the track and not even engine building it was a really poor decision but i was just like let me just try and even that was interesting even though i came in like dead last because of it it was still fun to experiment with and it also showed me that uh the track isn't everything like you have to have a balance of a lot of things and i always like games like that that challenge you like there's no one clear way to victory or you can't just cheese one um area and and win so i actually liked that experiment quite a bit but yeah i i really enjoyed this i've i've i'm uh i predict that I, it, it's going to hit the table a lot for me and probably our group in general but yeah that's why it's my number two alma mater so this is not a joke but it's also my number two which makes sense because well, I that makes me the only weird. odd the odd one out then yeah, <laughs> I that's, put a number two. yeah it's weird i don't know i don't know where you're coming from just kidding <laughs> uh no it's fine now uh, i actually thought that 
the game would feel kind of samey because I have the criticisms of like students not changing uh, in in the game. You always play with the same students. The professors and the track progression for the quality of books that you're writing change, but the students stay the same. And actually, there's a mini expansion which we need, still need to buy, which supposedly uh, maybe fixes that for me i'm still hoping that there's some kind of a future expansion where it makes something on the board on the board rotate a little bit more or maybe just have something extra but looking at the games of 2020 i think this is really one of the better games uh, for me out there there's evidence by it being number two i really think uh the unique thing about it is probably the closed economy that Trevor was talking about, basically buying books from other people and kind of handing money around the table. Uh, other than that, it's kind of a tableau building worker placement game of careful timings and yeah, progressing on tracks. And like Brendan says, doing just kind of a little bit of everything. Uh, usually the game has three goals and if you do all three goals, you're, gonna do pretty well and that's usually a pretty good idea but there's a lot of interesting decisions i, I like that the, like i say the very unique thing is uh, the resources in the game are bought from other people or b written by you i guess in the case of books so that gives it a little bit of an interesting vibe compared to other games where you just buy from a endless supply a bank or whatever uh, this one is your fellow player so you're collectively kind of creating this economy which doesn't super strongly feel like an economy but uh, definitely cool game definitely cool experience um, that's alma mater I wonder if they'll actually put out uh, uh, like a big expansion for this because Coimbra I felt like got a decent amount of attention and as of right now there's no expansion there's the mini expansion that royal treatment it's just like dice and but uh, yeah, I, 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 I wouldn't hold my breath, but I would hope that they'll come out with a, an expansion for Alma Mater. Yeah, I feel like Coimbra feels like a more complete game to me. This one, actually, I feel like I'd like it to have an expansion. Like games like Coimbra, I'm kind of not sure if I'd like it. I think with Alma Mater, I would like it uh, personally. Yeah. I'd like to see expansions for both of them so I can buy them and continue being a completionist. <laughs> only from Germany, maybe. For yes, like only six, from six, Germany. <laughs> six, 60 euros plus 20 euros shipping. Yeah. yeah. Oh, don't forget about the bells and the Coinbase expansion and the felt <laughs> box for rolling your dice that I'm sure everybody will use. All right. Well, if... Your number twos are any indication. Maybe I'm jumping the gun here again with my number two. It's Dune Imperium, uh, published by Dire Wolf, designer Paul Denon, uh, same designer as, as Clank. So I was already kind of set up to really like this game. And spoiler alert, I really, really liked it a lot. Uh, the deck building is cool because it bifurcates your turn into two different types of turns. Uh, uh, it's stepping back one step it's, it's a deck builder mixed with worker placement is kind of the the core mechanic um and during your turn so normally on a deck builder game you draw your cards and you just play them all uh but what's really cool about this one and there's uh, some other games this year that i haven't played that maybe do similar things um is the depending on the cards you have they might those cards might thematically be tied to one of the different factions in the dune universe and so you're only able to send workers to certain areas depending on what types of cards are in your hand 
Um, and so you might be going to uh, the Freeman to get water or you're going to go to the emperor or whatever to get money. Um, then you can go to the Landsred council to get extra workers and get uh, engine building stuff or maybe recruit warriors. Uh, really cool. I think thematic ties. Uh, I haven't, I actually started reading the book, so I'm trying to get more into the theme, but I, from what I've seen, it's, it's really cool. And then there's a, also this, uh, this combat mechanic that I, I was a little apprehensive about with certain players, but I actually played this with a group, um, that I was nervous about them liking the conflict and it was a huge hit uh putting the these you know you're sending your cubes in uh so when you recruit cubes or your warriors you can put them in a garrison to save them to send them in a conflict because there's a combat phase at the end of every round um and you can send cubes at different times based on what action spaces you go to with your agents. And uh, basically, there's a, a conflict card for every round where there's like a first place. Uh, you know, whoever wins the conflict gets this. Whoever second place in strength gets X. And then whoever gets third place gets Y. Um, really, really cool game. It felt really balanced at the end of it. I'll just share one quick experience with the game. So at the end of the game I played, it was a four-player game, and we had all three of us were at seven points. Three of us were at seven points. I think the other player was at six. So really close game. One player gambled and thought that he could win it without somebody jumping ahead, so he jumped up to ten points, and then that was the final round. And myself and another player both had a a connection of cards and um, abilities that if the battle went our way, we would win the game by jumping up to either 10 points and then win on a spice tie because that's the first tiebreaker or jump to 11 points. And the fourth player <laughs> who was who had like six points played a combat card that ruined both of us. And the player who jumped to 10, their gamble paid off. And so they won with the 10 points because that's the, the end game trigger. So just a really cool experience. I actually really liked how the end game was uncertain. Maybe that's not how it plays out in every game, but just an overall really, really well done um, game. And I think I actually jumped the gun. I the, Going back to how deck builders usually work, you know, you, normally you draw your cards and you just play them all on your turn on this game you play one card to place your agent and that's your turn and then at any time you want or when you have no more workers to place you just reveal your whole hand and that's how you get the points to buy more cards and put them into your deck and i thought that was um innovative i haven't seen that yet uh really cool game and that's why it's my number two dune imperium i'm just gonna press the button <laughs> yeah my number one is dune imperium from paul denon and dire wolf uh yeah i mean uh again trevor kind of uh said quite a bit about this game but uh yeah i i agree like i don't really like deck building games anymore but i'm starting to games like this start making me question 
whether or not that's true anymore. What I think is, is that I don't like the very basic uh, pure deck building games as just cards. The When you add a board to it and you had different mechanics like worker placement, it becomes a lot more interesting. And now it seems like deck building is kind of an added mechanic to several different mechanics. And that's what I really enjoy about it. So I don't hate the deck building uh, mechanics so much. I think I just hate it when it's by itself. But now we've... Um, We've gone to the evolution of now it's just like a part of a game. And this is a great example of making it a part of the game and it really works. And like Trevor was saying, that playing one card on your turn and placing your worker and having to make that decision of, man, I need to go to this spot and this is the only card that will get me there, but I also need what's on the card for when I... I forget what the uh, the reveal phase, I think it is. And... Yeah. Like that is a tough decision to make. And also the combat was like, to me, a lot of fun because not only do you have your cubes in the middle and you're, you're trying to, uh, throughout the round, trying to push as many cubes as you can into the middle of that, that, uh, like battle, but also you can play cards. So there's an, a surprise element to it too, which makes the battle feel a little bit more thematic where you're counting up the points for um for each cube where they're going to be two points per cube but then you could play cards down and be like you know add four more points because i got a combat card and held on to it and it's actually kind of difficult to get those cards in some situations so yeah i found the game just overall extremely well designed and i only played it once but i can't wait to play it again and that's why it's my number one dune imperium well, my number one is Gloomhaven. Just kidding. It's actually Dune <laughs> Imperium. Uh, yeah, it's a three-way. Well, Trev- Trevor's number two, but whatever. I'm actually kind of curious what his number one game is. But Gloomhaven. Yeah, sure. Uh, when I first heard about the game, I am extremely skeptical of everything that has to do with Dune because I've been burnt by certain movies from the 70s before. Just kidding. No, I think actually, uh, speaking of which, Board games seem to be doing like the, they seem to be good when uh, the name of Dune comes up, uh, because I think people who make board games are maybe uh, nerdy enough to actually get it right, mm. you know. So, but nevertheless, like the movie coming out and everything, I was just like, really skeptical about this game. So I was just like, uh, I don't know if it's gonna be good. And uh, I made this funny meme thing that I posted, and I'll actually post it probably on Cards and Cubes Facebook as well. But uh, Vince McMahon's uh, like reaction meme with WWE guy, like the more he gets excited, the more time passes so anyway i as i was reading the rule book uh that was basically the impersonation of uh him actually because at first i was like hmm, well that's that sounds good that sounds good the more i looked at like the cards and the characters and everything and i was like wow that actually looks really well done and uh by the end of it i was like wow this is probably gonna be a really good game and then we played it and i was like yeah this was really good <laughs> so um i'm really actually excited about this kind of revival of the dune kind of the franchise i guess with board games i'm really hoping that the games coming out are actually going to be really good i think this one really is really good 
Um, basically what Trevor and Brandon said, um, completely true with decisions, really cool. I should uh, add that uh, one of the more powerful spaces on the board, just kind of like the genius of the design, I guess. Uh, cards for it are really kind of bad early game. I'm talking about the Navigator's Guild, where you like your reward for going up there is like one card. And the better reward is amazing, but extremely expensive. So... Oh, towards the end of the game, those cards are really valuable to have, but like if you bought them early game, you didn't really have a good early game, so kind of like a decision of like, do you want to have a better early game or a late game? So there's a lot of just really small cool things like that, and just the theme comes together super well for me. Uh, the illustrations actually were very important that they weren't bad, like things like the ornithopters actually look decent, like the sandworms look decent, like Duncan Idaho looks decent, That those things kind of really matter to me when you talk about Dune, and I'm happy to say that everything looks amazing. Um, so yeah, yeah, just like one of the more pleasant surprises of uh, 2020 for me. I'm really looking for, forward to playing it more, and maybe even the future games uh, coming out under the Dune name. Yeah, and while you're on the on the art, I would have to say this: I'm mean, everybody out there in the board game industry ought to be taking notes for how this was done for a game that was targeted around a cinematic release. Um, you know, I, I hate it personally when they, when a company will just like pull screenshots from the movie in for the game art. Yep. Um, and it's even worse when they do like a mixture of the two where like screenshots and then horrible like high school art. Um, <laughs> But this game actually took the likenesses of all of these big name actors and actresses that are going to be in this movie and made it into a really good and unique art. I thought um, when when I pulled this game out, the first <laughs> the first question that in, in this particular group, every in the everybody in the house wanted to see the Zendaya card, and so like, where is she? So we you know pulled out the deck, looked through it, and they, they all thought it was really cool to see you know, these actors uh, portrayed through actual game art. So I thought that that was really, really well done. Yeah, I like I say, everything, I, I have a lot of like concerns when movies are coming out about Dune because I have some pictures in my head of what things are supposed to look like. And like I say, uh, it's very important to me that like whatever is in some kind of artist's imagination matches. And this one was good for me personally. I don't know if everyone feels that way but yeah um i really enjoy the art except what if the movie sucks is it gonna taint all the game i mean no because the <laughs> the mechanics are awesome but all the art is from the movie and i was just thinking about that like huh what if the movie's really bad are we gonna be looking through these cards like oh that scene <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, maybe. I'm kind of scared now again, so thanks, Brandon. Yeah. <laughs> the movie looks cool. <laughs> we, we just helped get Riso comfortable and out of Nightmare Zone. <laughs> It's just yeah, like actually, uh, it's kind of it's kind of funny, but I should mention that Dune for me and like a lot of people unexpectedly actually uh, it was kind of weird that even people that I don't think are into Dune, uh, like from the board game store, they bought a lot of copies of the game. So I think like the franchise is pretty huge in geek circles or just like nerd circles, and I think it's very important for it to like uh, not be bad, you know, yeah, to get yeah. it right. Yeah. Well, if the movie ends up sucking, at least it, the game looks great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, all right, moving on to my number one. Uh, any guesses? <laughs> on Mars. I already guessed your guys' top. It's got to be on uh, Mars. I'm keeping track, actually, but it's probably one of the games which... Truffle Shuffle. No. <laughs> uh, my number one game of the year is On Mars. Uh, Vital Lacerda, published with Eagle Griffin Games. I love this game. It is so much fun to play every time I play it. it it's brain-burny. It's thinky. There's a lot of moving parts, a lot going on, but I just... Vital Lacerda is a master of, I think, um, joining mechanisms with themes. So when I'm playing this game, I, I, I kind of have in my mind uh, The Martian, uh, you know, the Matt Damon movie. I, I have, have that kind of in mind when I'm playing this game. Um, and I loved that movie. The book was also really good. And so I, that's kind of where I make a connection here. Um, you know, the only element to this game that doesn't feel kind of real is the crystals, um, which could have been something like funding from the from Earth or whatever. But uh, yeah, really cool worker placement game. I like how that the worker placement spaces are actually open depending on where your astronaut guy is. So if you're at the space station, you have certain actions available to you. If he's on Mars, then you have uh, different actions available to you. There's uh, really cool um, sort of building placement and semi-network building going on here uh you're wanting to clump buildings of the same type together so that you can then put an advanced building on it which then gives you the ability to use these scientist meeples and do uh one of vital Lacerda's 17 executive actions uh for free lots of really cool ideas in this game i love the theme and so easy number one for me this year on Mars, you guys liked it that much. I was gonna say that uh, the crystals should have been potatoes if it's like the Martians. The Martians. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, that'll be an ex in the expansion. He's actually working on a the potato expansion. Yeah, the potato <laughs> expansion. He'll call it on Mars, the Matt Damon edition. Um, actually, they're working on an expansion right now that makes the game cooperative, and I think I'm gonna take a pass on it. Oh, because, yeah. Surviving Mars. Yeah, because I have my concerns with CO2, and unless Vital Lacerda, you know, learned lots of lessons about cooperative design since designing that, I'm kind of not interested because the, com the competitive game for me is just so good. But there's aliens in it. Uh, yeah. Yep. <laughs> I was going to say, actually, the On Mars game does have a lot of co-op-like elements, basically a lot of kind of things that you go on a limb to purchase a card and hope that other people will use it. Some abilities rely on people traveling from space to Mars. So, yeah, it already has kind of some, some of those aspects, but yeah. Anyway, uh, yes, I, I know you guys have some honorable mentions, and we can uh, quickly go through those. We're we are uh, kind of, uh, we got, we've been doing it for a while now, but uh, I actually don't have any honorable mentions. In fact, these 10 games that I mentioned are probably the, the only games that I feel like are worth talking about at all. But I do have games that would have made the list had I played them. 
And I actually have most of them sitting on the shelf. So I just want to list a couple of those. Uh, Steffenfeld game Bonfire, which we're probably going to play actually pretty soon. Lost Ruins of Arnak. Uh, Bees with a Z. Undaunted North Africa. Back to the Future Dice Through Time. Uh, Castles of Tuscany. And as it was uh, Trevor's number nine, Paris. So I'm looking forward to playing all those games. I'm sure that a lot of those would have made the list had I played them. Um, I guess I should mention just really quickly in passing, we did spend a lot of time playing Gloomhaven, Brandon's favorite game that he's always likes hearing about uh, towards the beginning of the pandemic. Uh, there is a newer kind of expansion slash you can actually add it to Gloomhaven. There's just separate classes, a game called Jaws of the Lion, which was a really huge release in 2020. And uh, I'm definitely late to the party, but I definitely enjoy Gloomhaven. Uh, that's uh, It's been talked about to death, probably, so you probably know what it is. So, But that is a game that was kind of a significant game for me in 2020, um, and for Trevor probably as well, unless, well, I don't know how he feels about <laughs> it. But uh, just a couple of really small games mentions that I really kind of liked that I feel like don't belong on the top 10, but should probably be mentioned. One is another Kickstarter weird release, which hardly everyone, anyone in the world got apparently, except for me, called Tasty Humans. Um, I don't know if Brandon ever played it. Justine and Matt definitely played it with me, and they like it okay. It's a game where you're eating people as a monster, and there's you play as a different type of monster, and the theme is really cool. And there's body parts. <laughs> there's like feet, torsos, uh, hands, and heads, I think, or something and it's not very gory it's all kind of like cinema not cinematic cartoony a little bit and just kind of supposed to be kind of funny haha you're eating people uh but the the that's the most hilarious theme and i think the game is really good as well on top of that because some of these novelty themes are kind of fail but this one is good uh, you're basically arranging them in certain some configurations to score according to goals which you draft at the end of every round. So you're trying to like line up a hands, a bunch of hands in a clump. It's like a stomach management game, which is the most hilarious thing ever. But anyway, if it sounds cool, tasty humans. I don't know if you're going to find it retail, though, so maybe they're preparing a retail release. Uh, the other one is a game that I've lately been kind of getting into slowly. Very simple, straightforward uh, worker placement game, which is some kind of a, a light remix of uh key flower meets auctioning kind of but in a very very light game and that's Quetzal or Quetzal I've played it on board game arena just a very kind of small and silly game but I kind of like it uh, very pure worker placements get money from some spaces to buy cards to score cards with set collection that's it um, so that's those are my honorable mentions Tasty Humans is cool. I I liked that one. Oh, you played definitely. it as well. Yeah, definitely would play that one again. But yeah, I don't think it's really in the retail space. Yeah. Uh, we talked about most of my honorable mentions, but I'll just throw uh, this one out there real quick. Um, so it is Jaws of the Line. I've actually started playing it with um, some family members who d have not played through uh gloomhaven and i was interested to see kind of how how a certain aspect of jaws of the lion would work and i'll just mention that really quickly so they've designed it in a way big i mean gloomhaven's a big game it has lots of rules and lots of weird things to learn so it can be kind of 
difficult for new people to learn as evidenced by the thousands of forum threads in the rules on on bgg um but this this uh game actually has sort of five introductory scenarios that teach you the game kind of like a video game would um so you you pick up pieces of the game as you play through these couple of first introductory scenarios and then by the end of those five you kind of know everything you need to know uh to to play the full game um and you know we don't have to talk more about gloomhaven but i thought that that was a really cool aspect of of uh, or an approach to an otherwise heavier game with lots of rules is sort of have this video game approach to teaching it to you and then uh one more honorable mention that I don't know that's been mentioned yet. It's on its way to me in the mail. Praga Kaput Regni is uh, the newest uh, Vladimir Suhi game and really looking forward to playing it. It's about building Prague and a bridge with one of the resource types is eggs, I think. So not as, pearls, but eggs. I was going to mention the egg bridge. Supposedly there's some legend that eggs were an ingredient of the concrete or something and it made it especially stronger. I don't know. There's some silly thing about eggs. Yeah. So those, uh, that's the rest of my honorable mentions. I really have high expectations for Prakaput Regni, but yep, hopefully we'll be playing Trevor's copy soon. All right, well, I guess that will do it for our top 10 games of 2020. Carnes and Cubes has been a production of Pod Cauldron. Check out some other great podcasts on the Pod Cauldron network, including Bub Club, a horror movie podcast, Rabble Rabble Rabble, a comedic look at current events, and Steady Diet of Music, a bi-weekly fix of opinions by musicians. You can get a hold of Cards and Cubes via email, cardsandcubespodcast at gmail.com, or visit our website, www.cardsandcubes.com. We'd like to thank Kirsten Adams for designing our logo. Find more of Kirsten's art on Instagram at catcoffee, that's K-A-T-C-O-F-F-E-E. We'd also like to thank Lindsay Hobbs for composing the theme and thank all of you for listening and we will return in a couple of weeks.